What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today's guest is a, I should say, interesting. <laughs> He's very exciting. It's different than what anything I've ever done before. So I'm actually really, really pumped and excited for you guys to uh, to hear this one. Uh, the guy I'm talking to today is Scott Canelli, And I'm sorry, Scott, if I pronounce that wrong. I am horrible at pronunciation. And you know this because you listen to the show. So, But Scott is the creator of the documentary the film Rise of the Sufferfest, which is a documentary created all about obstacle races. And I find this documentary, one, it's extremely entertaining, but it's super interesting because the concept behind it is brilliant. And I'm actually surprised that he's the first to really go after and like chase this as a journalist and as a documentary filmmaker. But basically, we pay, like the society pays money and spends time going through obstacle races where we are getting shocked by barbed wire dumped in ice cold water, sprayed with hoses, covered in mud, tripping on rocks, like all this crazy shit that is leaving us injured, bruised, and like just going through a grueling process, yet we keep coming back. And Scott decided to, as the journalist he is, he decided to go in and create a documentary and, and dive headfirst into the world of obstacle races, into the world of quote-unquote sufferfest, and decide and figure out what this is all about. And the cool part about this process is he didn't go into it and just figure out like, oh, this is just like a dumb race that we just hurt ourselves in. <laughs> he actually became a better person for it. He became a better father. He learned a lot about himself. He learned a lot about life. He learned a lot about what being a good person is, what determination is, what hard work is, what it takes to be actually physically fit. Like he had a whole entire transformation across the board from his life to obviously his business because he became a documentary filmmaker for this to his body, to his family, to everything that he has in his life. And it's a very, very interesting and a very compelling documentary, but a very compelling story as I sit here and talk to him on this podcast today. So I'm excited for you guys to listen to this one. Before we get started, I just wanted to make a quick announcement and shout out to my program, Functional Muscle. Functional Muscle is the first program that I have ever created for the public to purchase and download. I've always done individualized coaching, and over the years of working with hundreds and hundreds of people, what I realized is that most people have the same mistakes. They get sucked into one modality, they go all in on one thing, and they usually end up suffering from joint pain. They usually get injured, they usually stop training because they get bored, whatever it may be. So I wanted to create a program that focused on functional movement patterns while building muscle and strength. So now we can change our physique while actually feeling better in the process and never getting bored, which is why every three weeks the program completely changes. I use a ton of different functional exercise variations to make sure that your mind is not getting bored and that you can constantly stay engaged. So the results have been crazy. The feedback has been crazy. The people that are jumping into the program and therefore jumping into the private Facebook forum to talk about it are loving what they are doing. And I just wanted to make another quick announcement because – it is something I am super, super proud about, and the more people I can get involved in this program, the more lives I can change, the more people can change their bodies and stop being in pain, and, and that's really what my goal is. So again, guys, if you want to check out the program Functional Muscle and see what the hype is all about, click the link in the description and start training with me today. Now, without any further ado, let's get to my interview with Scott, the creator of Rise of the Sufferfest. So, man, like the biggest question yep. I have from you right off the jump is what made you get into the um, Sufferfest? I guess you could call it all these obstacle races in the first place. Like what made you tick and just decide to jump into one? Uh, I did it on a whim. I, um, I, I, I like writing humor essays, like immersive journalism. And so I 
when I first saw a Tough Mudder video, I was pretty terrified. I was a fairly pain-averse couch potato type, and I thought like I could train up and uh, tackle one of these events and make for a funny essay. Um, so it, my my entry point was like uh, experiential journalism, and um, and then you know I, I ended up really it was a pretty profound experience uh, that first Tough Mudder. That was you. Yeah, you lost me. You're good now, though. I don't know what just happened there. Okay. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I got pretty hooked on that feeling of accomplishment of, of facing fears, you know, which we don't normally do in our daily life, uh, on a, in a physical sense, anyway. Um, and uh, yeah, and and I've been I've been in this space since uh, as a journalist and now as a documentary filmmaker. So was your, is your background always been in journalism and things like that? So when you went through this experience, it kind of clicked, like I could create this documentary and take it this far or, or how did that come about? Well, it, um, it, it actually, so right around the time I did my first Tough Mudder, I was uh, just doing a little background research for uh, a humor essay. Um, and I uncovered a scandal surrounding the, the, the origin a tough um, and I pitched an uh, investigative ticket from when I uncovered the scandal to when this story landed on the cover of Outside Magazine. And in that time, I had done a lot of races, Spartan races, Tough Mudders, um, and um, I had sort of immersed myself in the community. And then when that story came out, it uh, made it obviously a, a bunch of waves because it was, you know, an, an expose about the shady origins of, of Tough Mudder. Um, and Afterwards, 60 Minutes picked it up and it, it, you know, it got a lot of international um, attention. And, um, and, you know, my initial impulse to make a documentary was, it was the guy who sort of got ripped off from Tough Mudder, this guy, Mr. Mouse, who had this original race in England called Tough Guy. Uh, you know, I thought he was a really interesting character and wanted to maybe write a biography about him since I'd spent a year interviewing him and, and uh, he was just a wildly eccentric British old army vet. <laughs> um, and, and I, uh, and so I, you know, I just felt compelled to like keep telling the story. Um, as a journalist, you kind of want to find your beat or as a new, you know, what you're doing, you want to find your niche and, uh, and run with it. So I sort of had this, this market cornered between various pieces of profiles and stories I'd written. Um, so so let's get into the actual race itself then. So you you mentioned, um, I'm sorry, was it something Mouse? Mr. Mouse. Mr. Uh, Mouse. So the, is he the first guy that he was actually the one that created the original obstacle course and then somebody else ripped it off? Yeah, so, so, so Tough Guy had been around for uh, t- over 20 years before Facebook came around and before Tough Mudder came around. Wow. Um, and so what Tough Mudder essentially did was they, the, the, um, the CEO of it, studied tough guy as part of his harvard business school studies and um sort of took as much information as he could under duplicitous you know motivations didn't really wasn't forthright with mr mouse about what his intentions were and even signed a non-disclosure non-compete clause um and he uh quietly um started tough mutter without telling mr mouse and you know to his credit he he took this raw rough rugged um British event that lives on a horse farm in England and he, you know, made mud marketable to the masses. So he, he took the marketing savvy, which Mr. Mouse never had and Tough Mudder became a, you know, a global phenomenon. Um, but, um, 
you know, most recently I, I wrote a feature for Rolling Stone magazine um, about uh, the unsung hero, the tragic hero of obstacle racing, uh, Mr. Mouse. So if you were to if you were to Google Mr. Mouse and Rolling Stone, um, you would uh, you'd come upon this story, which goes into pretty good detail of of what happened between those two men. I'm I'm never somebody who agrees with taking an idea or not being the original one, but I gotta admit the guy. Whoever created over here obviously capitalized on a great idea because, like you said, it's global now. And I got to imagine it's got to be like a billion dollar event or industry now, right? Uh, it, it's, you know, several hundred million dollars, you know, maybe a half billion uh, annually. Yeah. That's insane. So, um, what one was the first one that you got into? Because I know there's Tough Mudder, there's Spartan Racers, there's all these different obstacle course races now. Which one was the first one that you got into that got you hooked? Uh, it was Tough Mudder. And it was a fantastic, fun, exciting event. Um, I, I, I really, really loved the experience. Um, I've, I've since gone on to do uh, maybe a, a dozen Tough Mudders, including a couple of the 24-hour events, the world's toughest mudder. Um, and I have done you know, uh, many, many Spartan races. And I've also been over to England five times to do that uh, original race, Tough Guy, which is a midwinter, brutal, brutal suffer fest that... Um, it, it's it's horrifying <laughs> hypothermia is like the main obstacle <laughs> it's you got i gotta say like it's hard to even imagine that people can get away with this like there's bob wires and shocking and hypothermia like how how do are people getting injured during this or is it actually pretty like not people aren't don't actually uh, commonly get injured during the races or is that really common uh i mean there are a lot of bro- uh, of broken ankles and um and there, there's a lot of broken bones at these these events, but uh, you know I've never personally been hurt. I've, I've certainly um, battled hypothermia, um, but I, you know, I think if you, it's controlled chaos. If you are a risk taker and you, you know, are, are not careful, you can easily get hurt. Um, but um, I'm, I've, you know, <laughs> I don't like breaking things, so <laughs> I, I tend to play it a little safe. I'm not. I'm not gunning it full speed and and uh, and just with a reckless abandon. So are you are you training for these events? Because one thing I actually like is that um, and it's I know there's people that actually do these almost like a competitive sport. Like they go from race to race and they really do take this seriously. But I also love it because it gets a lot of just desk junkies or just random people who probably would have never found fitness into something. And I have a lot of clients that approach me and they need some tangible goal because they're just, they're not going to do a a competitive sport. They're not going to get on a bodybuilding stage, but they want to get in shape. And a lot of times they pick these races as a, as a, as an outcome and then they attack it. And I love that because it gets people training. So I'm curious of like who you see as the biggest demographic and and what the training is like leading up to that. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I think a lot of, there's a lot of desk jockeys and pencil pushers and people who, you know, maybe haven't done anything uh, extraordinary or athletic since high school or, or intramural sports. Um, so there's a lot of people who are rekindling that sort of flame and, and that competitive drive. Um, there's a lot of people who use this, yeah, absolutely, as an excuse to get off the couch. It's a fun, it's a fun way to, to, you know, maybe just running a half marathon isn't that thrilling and, and you don't get as much social currency from a... <laughs> from a profile pic of you running on pavement, but you <laughs> leaping over fire, like, like Rambo, uh, you know, you, you get those, that ego stroke. So I think for a lot of people there, there's that, that's the, maybe the initial entry point is, is the, the, the narcissism, which I cover in the documentary. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, for other people, it's, it's, uh, you know, just a way, an excuse to get off the couch. Um, me, I personally, 
uh, love the fact that these events happen year round. So there's always there's always something on my calendar. You know, I never go more than a couple months, it seems, over the past many years without doing one of these events. So it keeps me in check. It keeps me my training in check, my running, cardio and strength, just so I can so I don't, you know, go out there and have a miserable time. So uh, I find it motivating to to have all these events year round. It's definitely something that kind of forces you into staying on point because if you're not, you're kind of screwed when you get there. Um, so, so during the documentary, I believe you follow a couple specific people that are going through um, these events. And I'm curious of why you chose those people. And like, if you can give us some background of like their journey through it, because a lot of the listeners haven't even seen the documentary. So if you could break down their process and the main struggles they face and how they overcame it, like that would be great. Like I really want a, a good summary of it. Um, well, there's, there's a, you know, the, the film follows my personal journey, like through as a journalist into someone who um, gets knee deep into this. And then, and then uh, it also follows my journey into fatherhood. Um, and I sort of leveraged my fear of fatherhood. Like I didn't want to be an unfit dad. I didn't want to be lazy. And, and um, you know, I, I wanted to, to be active and enthusiastic in fatherhood. And I'm 40 years old, 41 now. So um it, it charts like my, how I embrace the suck and, and CrossFit, which I started doing throughout the course of filming this. Um, so it, it, you know, I would say like, I'm the, one of the main characters, you know, a main character in this, in that it's a, it's a personal journey as well as an exploration of this, of the, you know, social cultural, um, factors that have led to this exploding in popularity over the past 10 years. Um, but there are a few characters who are, I, I, I do focus on, um, James Appleton is one. He's a, three-time winner of the tough guy, that brutal race. Um, he's super fast in every race. He comes across the finish line, like in the most aggressively hypothermic, <laughs> like, is he going to live or die state? Like the first time he won tough guy, I think it was like four hours of him, like in a, in a med tent um, and being, you know, he collapsed at the finish line and had to be like, just, you know, taken, I think he may have been in an ambulance. Um, so he's, and he's <laughs> this, you know, this extraordinary, British kid who, uh, who, um, you know, keeps coming back for more. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I, I was drawn to him just because he has this sort of bulletproof mindset that I, uh, in general that I, and in all things in life and a sort of integrity, um, he's the kind of person you'd want on your side if the, if the world was coming. Um, even though he's not like, you know, the biggest and strongest guy, he's, he's, uh, he's just mentally sharp and, and there's, there's just things about him that I really appreciated. Um, and admired. And so I wanted to spend time with him and get to know him. And, and he turned out to be a great character and following him through um, some of these races was um, we, we got some really, really epic shots of him um, in just crazy states, mental states and physical states. Um, there's also, there's Amelia Boone who I um, focused on. She's a, this uh, gorgeous app attorney for Apple. Who's uh, like the world's best, you know, certainly female obstacle racer, if not, obstacle racer in general. Um, she is a hyper competitive athlete, hyper performer at work. Um, I mean, she's a corporate attorney for Apple in-house counsel. That's crazy. Um, and she's, you know, she's, she's just a wild, like type a per personality who also is like very, very bright and sees, you know, in, in the film, she sort of speaks to the narcissism and, and, and asks why, you know, question, ask the audience to question what their motivations are. She's the type of person who would do this, you know, without the profile pics, the kind of, she's just that sort of wired that way. But um, a lot of people aren't. And then uh, I'd say the, you know, the third person I really focus on is Hunter McIntyre, who is, um, 
a legendary, epic human being. Uh, he's, he's <laughs> I call him the mayor of Malibu. He's uh, this, like, you know, late 20s. Just, uh, he reminds me of like Macho Man Randy Savage. In fact, he's uh, entertaining a, a contract offer from the WWE to jump over from mud. He's like the three-time, like for the last three seasons, he's been on Steve Austin's Broken Skull Challenge or Ranch uh, TV show. He's like undefeated. He's won like almost $200,000 in the show, and he's this wild, outsized personality. Um, I wrote a cover, cover profile for Men's Journal about him. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned this in the film. I, I didn't really like him at first. He just seemed so ego-driven. And I was like, I'm not going to give this guy a platform in my movie. But then I met him and realized this is kind of a long act. And in the film, like you really see, he talks about how the community of obstacle racing really um, opened him up and made him a less selfish person. And, and he started to like really understand what this sport is about and you know what obstacle racing is about is it is that sort of connection with strangers and you know for me one of the most powerful things of this uh is you know when you're out there and you're just whipped and and you are scared to get over a wall and you have and you have someone like helping you out like that's a you know a stranger we spend so much of our of our lives like plugged in and looking at screens and and not talking in elevators and and just like trying to avoid each other and, and here you you need each other um, there's just not many things short of natural disasters or, you know, terrorist attacks or stuff like that, that we, that we have, that we're forced to, you know, I guess, recognize each other's basic humanity and, 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 and unite and join together. So I really, it's also what I like about, you know, CrossFit and group fitness in general is it's just that sort of, you know, that connection with others. It just feels um, so like so absent in, in today's modern world. So I think, uh, I mean, I love everything you just said. And one thing that really hit me home, as you know, I just had a baby. So when you talked about it, the parallels of fatherhood and, and I, that's something that really intrigued me about it. And I, I'm fascinated by obstacle races simply from the psychological aspect of it. One, I, I've done some different events, not obstacle races that just pushed me mentally, physically to a point that I didn't think I would be able to um, for the sole purpose of kind of breaking you down to to lead you to believe that you can actually do more than you think. And I think it's really powerful. But then the other thing being like, why are people paying <laughs> to go through this kind of stuff, which I understand because right. I've done as well. Um, but I'm curious of what your biggest takeaways and what you find um, as far as like the psychological connection and building your mindset and everything that comes with going through these uh, suffer fests. Well, like, let's say as far as like takeaways, uh, I had some ideas of what was driving the popularity. And, um, and then I ended up, you know, identifying experts in the different fields to talk about those things. So um, you could say narcissism epidemic, um, all of us looking for likes and double taps and social media. And so I, in the film, I interviewed Dr. Gene Twenge, who, um, you know, the, the book, The Narcissism Epidemic and Generation Me, um, which is a new book on the I generation. Um, and so she was, she was a, you know, someone I was really interested in talking to. Um, I, feel, I also felt like there are a lot of men, there aren't many opportunities for men to, you know, feel like men these days. Um, so, so we explored the masculinity crisis using a variety of like, you know, really fun experts. And, um, and then, you know, in this, and the comfort was another big thing. We live in such, uh, we're so seduced by the idea of comfort and um, convenience. And um, as great as it all is, there's something I think fundamentally lost. And so Laird Hamilton, the, the surf legend, um, sort of spoke to what fear you know, the, what fear does to us on a biological level and psychological level and how it makes us appreciate life in, in ways that we 
um, you know, normally don't. Um, I mean, you think about like a near miss in a car accident or something, you know, you're, all those endorphins are rushing and the adrenaline and, and you feel like fully alive. Well, these are controlled environments, situations in which you can sort of trick your body into, or not even just trick. I mean, there are some terrifying experiences at these, at these events. So um, it's, it's sort of tapping us back into our sort of primal animal instincts. Um, and then like, there's a, you know, the sense of loneliness in the digital age, which I just talked about, like we're just so connected, but we're not really, really connected. Um, and so, you know, these events give you the opportunity to, to be in the moment in a way that's, that's lost. Cause you're not running around with your cell phone. And if you are, you're probably like me and I've broken, <laughs> I've drowned uh, two cell phones, two iPhones, and I've cracked a screen at another, like I am an idiot and I never learn. Uh, so but shame on me, but in general, you're not like sitting there stopping for selfies at these things. Like you're, you're just there and you're, you're, you're in the moment in the flow. So, um, you know, I think all those things are like really, really powerful, um, opportunities to, to grow and, and, and back to like, you know, if there's one story that sticks out to me is I, I didn't think I, so I signed up for world's toughest mutter, which is a 24 hour race. And you do five, you do a five mile loop. Um, of, a, of a Tough Mudder course in the Vegas desert as many times as you can in 24 hours. I had this quixotic goal, which is sort of everyone's, or a lot of, you know, average weekend warrior goals would be 50 miles, which seemed preposterous to me to, to, to pull that off. Um, and because uh, you have to, you gotta, you know, if you're not fast, you just have to keep moving, man. And, and it, it fucking hurts. Uh, so I ended up, uh, sorry for the curse word. Uh, I ended totally up, fine. as I got closer to it, you know, 17 hours into it or whatever. And, and I started getting inching towards 50 miles. Like then suddenly this was in my, in my reach. And I, and I, I knew I couldn't do it without like real help from, from strangers. Like, like I, I was gassed. I, had, I was out of upper body strength, out of grip strength, failing, you know, falling off the monkey bars and taking the penalty loops. And, and then, you know, at some of the walls, just needing people who had their own, who had their own mileage goals in their, in their mind. Um, and needing them to help me literally lift me over walls and pull me up over things and expending their energy, which sacrifices some of their goals perhaps on me. And like that, it created this. So when I did hit the 50 miles, like I, I broke down at the finish line. Like I was so overcome with emotion. I was just bawling. Like I, like I was like, I'd seen Michael Jackson in a limo or something like those old videos. And when I was a kid of, or the Beatles or something like I just lost it. And, uh, and it, it, there's this deep sense of gratitude for all the, the strangers who helped me get there. And so like that feeling of empathy, um, of, of, of real, you know, connection with other people, that, that was the, the thing that st I still carry through. And I feel, you know, there's almost, it seems like almost every race, there's something that does move me to tears. Um, and granted, I, <laughs> I have confessed to being a crybaby uh, in in a national magazine before, like crying to Applebee's commercials if the, if the soundtrack is, is just right. So <laughs> I am a sensitive dude, but, but I, I am, you know, I do, there's, there's just seeing people like, uh, you know, a really, really obese woman uh, standing at a obstacle, like a, a plunge into water that's 15 feet up and, 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 and staying up there for 20 minutes because she can't imagine doing this, having the hearing, watching the crowd cheer her on, to the point where literally 20 minutes later, she finally jumps into the water. You know, that's, that's a powerful, powerful, like unforgettable moment in her life, in my life, and in the 2,000 people who are on the beach cheering her on, listening to music. It was just like, this was in, in, uh, in the Netherlands, this race called Strong Viking. It was just such an overwhelming experience. Um, 
and then you know in, in Asheville, North Carolina, I ran with this group called More Hearts Than Scars, and and they it's a nonprofit, pretty much dedicated to bringing, um, um, yeah, not what's that? So handic I don't know if handicap is the right word I could use here, but like people uh, differently abled. Oh man, um, but so I get where you're we, going with this. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so basically we brought a, a woman in a wheelchair who's paralyzed from a, from a car accident. She was biking, she got hit. And this is her first, like, this was her goal is, was to do this event. And, um, and, and we brought her through a wheelchair and carried her, you know, like up the parts where the wheelchair wouldn't go, like we had her on our backs and, and it was just like, man, I mean, it was, it was, it was, and they do this with a lot of people who have, who just can't get through a course on their own. And, and, and to see that sort of, that sort of like just strangers helping strangers is just something that gives me hope for humanity in a world where a lot of times it certainly seems hopeless. See, and that, and to me, all of that is what makes that sound so appealing and so addicting. Um, but I'd be curious of like everything that you've experienced and all these different things that have happened. And after keep going back and back and back, what has changed in your day-to-day life with your family, with your job? Like what has happened to your motivation and your ambition and to your business and everything like that? Like how have you mentally shifted in your average life? Um, well, let's, for, for starters, I'm a lot fitter than I was um, with the exception of the, of the last pregnancy. So I, I have a six month old home and uh, I ate a bunch of ice cream during that pregnancy and sort of slipped off the, uh, Me too. Off, off the wagon <laughs> and I gained, I, I, yeah, uh, except I gained 10 pounds of fat. Like we do the, the DEXA body scans. So I had gained 10 pounds of fat. And then like in, ja- in January, we just we did the body comp again, three uh, last weekend. And fortunately in the past three months, I've, I've, I've like buckled down and, and thanks to your podcast, like dial the nutrition and things. And I lost seven pounds of fat while gaining five pounds of muscle. So oh, dude, so that was that's uh, great. That was a good three. Yeah, it's been a good three months, and 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 thank you. Like I, I really, I, I I tune in, and and it's really really helpful information you're you're spreading out into the world. Um, I love it, and man. It's delivered in a way that I that I really appreciate. So, uh, fitness wise, I'm I'm a lot fitter, and and I'm I'm just you know in that respect, I'm a different person. The mental toughness, like um, like it was when you like achieve something that seems so far beyond what you're capable of mentally and physically, like to me, doing 50 miles at World's Toughest Mudder, and then the next year I did 55 miles, you know, at that, before I had done it once, it was just like 50, it was so, such an outrageous goal, and it, as much mentally terrifying as it was physically improbable, and I, um, and having achieved that, you sort of get this sense of confidence in yourself, this belief that you can, you can slay dragons, um, and, and so there's a confidence that I have now that I did not have beforehand, um, and like right now, like I, I can't, I don't want to give too much details, but I have this, the documentary itself, as, as you'll see in the film, like the fundraising for it, like just making the documentary itself was its own uphill battle in, I had a, I had a catastrophic and mortifying Kickstarter campaign in which I <laughs> laid it all out there for the world. And I flopped so bad raising, like, it was just like such, I raised, I asked for $297,000 and I got 34,000, but I actually got nothing because it was Kickstarter. And so this was like really, really deeply humiliating. And, uh, and somehow I, f- I, I found a way and persevered to make that movie. And so like that in and of itself also like, okay, I was able to raise a quarter million dollars to make this film. Um, ultimately, even though it didn't happen the way I had planned, I found a way to make it work. And so now like I'm trying to launch my own event, like a, a, a new twist on, 
on the Sufferfest format. Um, and, uh, you know, something definitely original, but something I will, you know, I'd, I'll need to raise a significant amount of money to do this. Um, and, but I, you know, I feel like I'm going to do that. Like, you know, like there's this confidence that I have, like, I'm going to, of course, I'm going to make this dream happen. Like I made the last one happen. I made the 50 miles happen. Like I, 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 I have a new sort of, le- I guess, yeah, level of self-assuredness that, um, that I absolutely owe to my involvement in this space. I think that's huge because I mean, and you know, I'm in the fat loss industry, but even with that, it's never a linear process, right? There's so many plateaus and roadblocks and you got to learn how to course correct. So the fact that you fell what $200,000 short, but you still made it happen because you course corrected, that's huge, man. And I think that's like, that's the kind of stuff people need to hear because it's just about knowing what you have to do and then just trusting the process that you'll get there eventually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What is, uh, if you can share, obviously, what is the plans with the, your event? What is the what? The plans with your event. I'm curious of how you're going to make your own uh, thing. If you can even share details on that. Um, well, it, it seems like a stretch that someone would, would be able to steal this idea and beat me to market for it. Um, it, it's a, uh, it's a, a surreal suffer fest. So, um, more of a aesthetic experience involving music and, and art and, um, but also like physical brutality. So um, imagine uh, Burning Man style art sculptures as obstacles. Like a, so um, a different kind of experience that, uh, you know, maybe would, it's sort of the thing that I personally would want to do. So if Tough Guy or is um, a reflection of Mr. Mouse's experiences at, you know, in the army, in the, in the Grenadine Gren- Guards in uh, England, um, this would be my a reflection of my uh, experience as a tough guy and a burning man. So trying to marry those worlds and, and create a, a total visceral experience, immersive experience. Do you plan on making a documentary with that as well? Um, I, 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 I plan to record the process and see what emerges. There's no like strict intention of, of let me, I'm not like planning out the narrative at this point. Um, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll capture footage along the way and, and see if there's something story worthy or, you know, of course it'd be story worthy for me, but is it story worthy for the audience? Is there some value to like to, to viewers other than my like ego stroke? So we'll see. <laughs> well, and I think too, like at the end of the day, like we said earlier, it's becoming such a big phenomenon or industry that there's got to be people interested in so many different aspects. So I can't see that not taken off, man. Um, do you have any uh, crazy stories? I want to know, like, is there's any just insane stories of other people or that you've been through or like the toughest um, single obstacle that you've ever heard of or you've been through? Is there any just out of this world experiences you can share? Well, I would say like, you know, for people who haven't run through 10,000 volts of electricity, I mean, that <laughs> seems like, <laughs> that seems like, pretty common now all right, you know, all right electricity obviously would be one of the most horrifying things that at world's toughest mother they did have this one um obstacle called operation which if you remember the game uh it, it, it's a lot like that so you're standing in a water basin like knee deep and you're you're holding a, a metal or a metal pole that's probably eight feet long you have to thread it through a hole in a wall which is lined with metal and try to grab a hook that's on a back wall that's six feet back and then bring back your, you know, the, the little, the little ring that you're, that you're holding on the hook back through your hole. And if you touch, obviously the, the metal uh, rim, you get shocked to shit. 
And uh, you're, you're also in a basin of water with other people. So if the guy next to you or girl next to you um, shocks herself, you, it comes up through the water and you get shocked and that makes you hit the thing. And, and I thought I was going to die. I, I, I literally thought I was going to pass out um, on like standing on my feet. Um, and after that, I, I ended up just taking the, 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 the penalty lap, which is like a sandbag through like a, an extra, you know, it, it was, it wasn't easy, but it, it wasn't getting shocked. Um, so that was horrible. Um, and pretty much all the electrical <laughs> obstacles are, are, are pretty terrible. I'd say one of the most exciting parts of my, like, I, I can't remember the last time I laughed harder than, um, the last Tough Mudder I did, I was, uh, sitting in the bleachers. They have a grandstand by the, by the electrical electroshock therapy <laughs> and you, you've gone through it and you're now drinking a beer and you're watching all these people. And I, I think my buddies and I, um, we, we sat there for probably an hour and a half laughing so hard. Like I, my abs were like, we were cramping. Like it was, it was difficult because you see people going through it. Like they'll either pass out blackout and they'll face plant in the mud or they'll halfway through, they'll just start screaming bloody murder because they're afraid to go one step further. Um, so it's, it's, it's fun. I think to see, uh, once you've been through it to see, uh, how other people are handling the situation. Um, so I think that's like the, one of the more entertaining things. Um, one of the more painful outside of electricity would be, uh, again, at World's Toughest Mudder, there's a theme here. Uh, they have a cliff jump, which is like 38 feet, and they open it at midnight. Um, and you're, in, you're jumping off 38 feet into cold water. Um, granted, you have a wetsuit, but still, it's, the water's 40 degrees or something. Um, and each time, especially after being on your feet running for you know, 25 miles at that point, Every time you hit the water, it's 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 like getting hit with a sledgehammer at the bottom of your feet. It was it was horrible, and then to do that six times, and every time it's like, oh my god, I have to do this again. I, have to, I can't believe I have to do this again. So um, that's you know that's pretty freaking crazy. And the fact they they save it till midnight <laughs> to open it up is just a, a mind fuck in and of its own. It's it's just so funny because I sit here and laugh thinking like why on earth do people pay to put themselves through this? But I can, but at the same time, I can absolutely understand uh, the addiction side of it and how you would want to keep going back. But then I start thinking who creates this shit. So do you have any idea of the creative aspect behind how you create these torture devices to put people through? Well, uh, you know, Mr. Mouse certainly pioneered the pretty much everything. Like Tough Mudder is like a really polished, slick, like version of, of, tough guy like when in 1998 or nine when mr mouse first put electricity on a running course i mean the community flipped out like the running community flipped out the people in england flipped out it was like this health and safety flipped out like you can't put electricity on a running course it's like so to be you have to be a certain kind of special slash mad to to decide i'm going to shock people um and then you know and tough mother took you know one of their key innovations was tear gas um they had a tear gas like <laughs> concoction um, and that man, yeah, I forgot about that. That it was, uh, it was called Crybaby, and it was like this like box that you have to crawl through. Maybe it's thirty yards long, and and it's filled with this like gas type thing. And and it was, it was very mentally. But uh, you know, the first time I went through, I didn't think it was, it was that big of an obstacle. Then like the next race I did, they had changed the formula or the the, the you know the amount of gas that was in there. And I thought like I was gonna have to stand up through the tarp because I thought I was gonna suffocate and die. It was like absolutely horrible. Um, so, you know, that was, uh, they got a lot of press and a lot of backlash. Um, and there's a talking head in my film named Mark Morford, who was a culture critic for SF Chronicle, SF Gate, 
um, and he took real issue with with using tear gas, um, uh, likening it to uh, you know the ultimate sign of white privilege. That here we are, like getting a little taste of like the minority experience, like um, a little Disney version of like, of like real life. When in fact we've got Ferguson and, and all sorts of you know riots and, and tear gas being used on 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 uh, you know underprivileged communities all across America. Um, so there are certainly some some larger social implications to you know that that obstacle. But it was innovative. I'll give them that. <laughs> So what is it, what's your conviction to get this word out? I mean, I'm, I'm curious of like, obviously you're passionate about this stuff. I mean, you, you pushed until you got a documentary out, you're writing about this in some of the biggest magazines out there. What's your main mission behind like, or why do you feel you should be pushing this message and getting people more informed on Sufferfest? Cause my first, my first like look at the cover of Sufferfest documentary, my mind went to, oh, he's making fun of this. And then as you dig in, you realize that you're all about it and it's actually helping you change your life. Like you said, become a better father, become a better person, be more fit. So it kind of completely flipped the script, which I love because it sucks you in thinking it's going to be something completely different. What's your main conviction behind all of it? Well, um, first, I mean, so the poster, there's like talking about narcissism. There's like two photos of me on it. There's like a photo of me looking like shocked, holding an iPhone to the camera. And in the camera iPhone, there's like a photo of me like suffering through uh, through tough guy, and and I did want to like I did want to that misdirect because I I figure most people look at this as a crazy ridiculous thing to do, and so I wanted to relate to them and, and maybe lure them in with, with that promise that like I'm going to be mocking this sport, and I also sort of went into it just thinking like this is a, this is sort of a goofy thing. I'll write a funny story about it, but that'll be it. And then like obviously I had a, a profound experience with it. Um, and it has changed my life. So I feel like, um, you know, suffer fests, like the rise of this phenomenon, it's like a, it's a symptom of a society and a culture that's out of step with like our biological destiny with like our, you know, who we are, uh, who we've been wired to be, who we evolved to be. And, and so it's a symptom of, of us being maybe having lost our way, but it's also an antidote in the sense that you can really tap back into uh, at least for a short period of time that, that, you know, those sorts of all the feelings you get from fear and physical struggle and, 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 and uh, connection with strangers and, and all those, those powerful life affirming uh, forces that happen on these courses. So to me, yeah, not only do, did I make the movie now I want to like start my own brand and, and create my own race that, that takes it even further um, because I feel like the world needs something like this. Like we're, we need, the CrossFits, we need the group activity. We need like, we need physical challenge and struggle because we uh, so actively avoid it. And, you know, so maybe not your listeners, but um, for a lot of people, they, you know, they don't do that. So if we, if I can spread this gospel and, and uh, make the world a little better place, one, you know, one patsy at a time, <laughs> one, uh, one uh, participant, uh, then I think there's value to that. I think it's it's funny. It's because like, even though I'm on a slightly different spectrum, obviously doing what I do, I think the motive behind what I do is actually the exact same. Like I never have the motive of creating the most ripped abs for as many people as possible. Like it really is just a lifestyle change because I grew up the fat kid. So I had a huge lifestyle change and I saw what it did to me mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And to me, that's what changed my life. So I 100% agree. And I actually think that in my mind, I go, if you can do anything, 
that'll keep you moving and keep you changing, keep you away from being so plugged in all the time or, or ignoring people or not being social or not using your body the way it was meant to move. I think you're winning. So I think it's great, man. I think that you spreading this message is, is just as powerful and just as important as me spreading mine. Yeah. Well, we're doing good work, man. <laughs> Absolutely. So what's next uh, on your plate? Like, do you have any, besides the, uh, the new event, do you have any more like big projects coming up? Any more documentaries, any more journalism? Like what's, what's in the future for you or even with your own obstacle racing? Um, I, let's see, I, you know, just this, like right now I'm, I'm, uh, my job is this, I, there's a group that I've partnered with to help bring this thing to life, um, at a, at a TBD location. We're just trying to sort out some of the, the funding to like actually start building it. But, um, you know, this is sort of my life and also I have fatherhood, you know, I, I spend a lot of time, I have a six month old at home. So, uh, her name is Birdie and, uh, and I have a three and a half year old son and, uh, that's, that takes up a lot of my time. So between, you know, some training and, and, the creative process with this and, and, and angling for fundraising, like in, I, in terms of designing investor decks and, um, and things like that, that's, that's been my focus. Um, I haven't done a moth. Uh, I think I want to try to do a, a, you know, one of the moth, not radio hours, but you know, story slams. Um, I did a TEDx, uh, not too long ago, which was terrifying in its own, you know, being in a stepping on a stage with 800 people and not being able to see them because the, because of the lights and stuff that was like so scary. Um, but, uh, you know, that was, uh, was pretty cool. So I think just finding more opportunities to step outside my comfort zone, public speaking is something I'd like to get into. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd like to get not into, I'd like to get really good at it and then get into it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, I think it's, that's a, that's a place I'd like to go and help spread in person, like with, with large groups of people, um, giving, you know, talks on, on, on this stuff. So, I love it, man. What, uh, what's the biggest, there's a lot of people who are trying to start businesses. And that's the reason I'm going to ask this question. Um, because there's a lot of young trainers, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people starting gyms or running gyms or whatever it may be. Um, what's the biggest takeaway that you've had from a business perspective throughout this whole process? I mean, you went from, like I said, again, like trying to fund something failing and then coming back to accomplish it, making a huge documentary. You've been on some really big podcasts. You've been in some really impressive articles and magazines. TEDx, like I can't imagine that to be honest. That would be, like you said, terrifying, but an awesome experience. Like, what is the biggest thing you've learned after doing all that? Um, I'd say to like let go of your expectations of how it's going to go. Um, like that, you know, for instance, like I, I, I do have a I'm employed to develop this race. I do have partners. Um, and you know, that was it's like if, if I had known how hard it was going to be to make the documentary and if I had known how little money I would make off of the documentary, there's no way I would have done the documentary. Like I, I had this vision of how it would go and knowing like how horrifying and embarrassing even the Kickstarter was, like I would have, I, I would have stopped. But I had this like, I had this dream of making this thing and even though it didn't happen the way I wanted it to happen and even though the result wasn't the, the, the rat, the riches and fame that I, you know, my ego at the time was interested in, I still have this, like, you know, this thing that I created that my children can, can watch and my, you know, that played on airplanes around the world last year. And like, I, I did like, I didn't get like the riches and fame that I wanted out of it, but I had something um, beautiful that I, that I love that I, you know, I, I'm, I'm 
I'm glad I stuck through. And then also it opened up a door for something I didn't, you know, a TEDx that I didn't see coming or, you know, an opportunity to, to, to build my own thing. That was not on my radar at all, like even a year and a half ago or, you know, a year ago. So um, I think just like being open to all the different doors and, and opportunities that open up to you and not being so solely focused on, on, on the end game and, and the goal that you thought you had when you started. Um, so flexibility, I think, is important. And that's a sense huge. of humor. <laughs> yeah, of course. And that's huge, man, because I think a lot of times, at least for me in my life, no, nothing ever goes exactly as planned for one, but um, you kind of end up finding things that you would have never expected. And those things are actually the most important or the most valuable, most rewarding, whatever it may be, or just the most awesome experiences you can you can hope for and you never saw them coming. Um, so I love it, dude. Um, one last question. And if you've listened to my podcast before, I'm sure you know the answer. So we'll see if you prepared for this, but you're on a flight to Japan. So you got 13 hours ahead of you and you got two empty seats right next to you. You can put anybody you want in those seats for this 13 hour flight, but they cannot be friends or family. So they can be alive or dead. Who's sitting next to you on that flight? You can't be friends or family. Nope. All right. Um, I don't know if Mr. Mouse is a friend. Um, he's a. You can put him. Uh, I would. I'd put Will Dean, the CEO of Tough Mutter, and uh, and Mr. Mouse, the uh, creator of Tough Guy, together, and see what happens there. I, I, you know, they've been such an integral part of my life. Like Will Dean has, like you know, especially after the last story for Rolling Stone, like he really, I can't imagine, likes me whatsoever, because. Um, <laughs> It was it was a it was a book review. He had just published a memoir about called "It Takes a Tribe," uh, in which he just pretty much took all the credit for. Like he wrote it about the time he invented the electricity obstacle, and I was like, "Are you out of your fucking mind?" Like, no, you didn't. And, and I <laughs> I put it in my movie, and I, I just I couldn't believe that he. So I pretty much just wrote a really scathing review of his book for Rolling Stones. And, and I, I'm, I, I'd like to sit with him and, and talk to him about it. And I'd like him to also be with Mr. Mouse and have them, have those men confront themselves, confront each other and, and themselves. <laughs> I can imagine that being a pretty interesting fight, man. So uh, where yeah. can everybody find your work? Um, so if you could, the movie's called Rise of the Sufferfests and uh, the, the website's uh, sufferfestsplural.com. Um, and then I have a website, scottkeneally.com, which, uh, is just dreadful. So give me a couple of weeks. I'm, I'm, I'm re- redesigning it, um, in the next couple of weeks. So, uh, but yeah, you can find me on the usual channels. Google me. Perfect, man. I love it. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for, uh, thanks for making me a little fitter and making it fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the All-Inclusive Guide to Mastering Your Diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book, not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. The next thing is going to be Functional Muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding 
any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum. That is the only way into the forum and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes charts. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spend a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.